nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another thrill-packed, fun-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living, and amazingly, we've reached ten episodes now. Pop. No, what um, on earth is going on there? That's, that's I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So, what we've decided, dearest viewers and listeners, is to attempt to stay on topic for one episode um, and do a special on the first series of Survivors, the 1975, mm. obviously the original, not the remake in 2008, was it? 2000, um, it was it eight? Yeah, 2008 to 2008. 10, and there's also some crappy American, uh, like, uh, what do they call those things? The reality shows called Survivors as well, I think. And I'm not I, sure. I thought for a moment there, for a moment, I thought you were going to say the Americans had remade it and I was going to get Jolly Cross. Well, oh. uh, wasn't Jolly Cross the settlement in, in Series 2? Ha ha. No. Um, what was I going to say? Um, uh, what's his name? Greg. Ian McCulloch did try mm. and get the Americans to remake it in the 80s, didn't he? But we, we'll talk about that maybe later. So, yes. um, Series 1. Um one of the uh, most striking things about it is the beginning of it which the 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 title thing uh, the titles for example so i'm sure uh, oh we better mention this is the sort of reference work as well the mm. end of the world um rich cross and uh, andy priestman is it the book it's it's it backwards is, yes, on it. it is um which unfortunately and this is a, a kick to them isn't it get it reprinted yeah because it's like, what is it? Stupid money on eBay now. Oh, it's it's absolutely ridiculous money. And uh, I I had a look, I had a look about a week ago, and I couldn't find one for less than sixty five pounds. No, that's that's no. ridiculous. No, no, no. It needs reprinting, and it needs reprinting because authors, if you're listening, it is the authoritative work, and it's not like you know. Dare I say, it, a lot of these books do tend to are they're like. They're just like they've printed the website out, and they run a fine, a very fine website as well, which uh, I should know. But it's, isn't it Survivors the series TV series dot com? I'll put we'll put the link in we'll the thing. The but it isn't just a reprint of the website, and some of these books are. Um, so without further ado, um, mm. the theme is it Anthony Isaacs the theme? Anthony Isaacs, yeah. Uh, the Oneidian line. What a stunning piece of work that is, isn't it? And for me, it's the fact that. Well, you've basically got two themes, haven't you? You've got that that terrifying, stark reality of yeah. the opening theme. But then you've got, of course, the end theme, which is a variation on the opening, but with all those lovely tubular bells being... And it's hopeful yeah. and uplifting, and I, I yes. love it for that. Yeah, the beginning one's got that kind of military drum beat in it, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's it. impending doom. Um, I mean, in the book, I was reading about the original title sequences, Nation envisaged it, which was Red Dots. It's not two, a million miles, is it, from the, the one that was realised? Um, mm. But the crucial difference, that they, and they make the point in the book very well, I thought, was Terry Nation's initial um, outline for the titles was that it was a mechanical hand holding a test tube. And in the titles as broadcast, it was a human hand. And so I think that they make the point in the book, and I agree with it, that that subtle difference gave us the uh, notion that man himself was, uh, you know, responsible for the end of the world, mm. as opposed to a machine malfunctioning. No, absolutely. And from that wonderful opening title sequence, which does its job beautifully, and I think we've got to look at when 
that title sequence is being made. I mean, it's what the series starts in April '75, so we yeah. can we can assume late '74, early '75. Look at the title sequences knocking about. I mean, you've obviously got the famous Bernard Lodge, Tom Baker, Doctor Who one. Mm. You've got that, but I think that we're at a time when titles were regarded as somewhat of a work of art. Yeah. And that's something which I think then then it became almost dismissed. So long as you know what you're watching, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and you'll find this odd coming from me, but I would say it's the American companies like HBO and Netflix who have then brought it back as an art form. If you mm. look at Game of Thrones, the yeah. opening title sequence is something like a minute and a half long. Yeah. Which wouldn't have happened 10, 15 years ago. So we've gone back to that, which is always a nice thing to do. Yeah. But no, the title sequences are absolutely wonderful. I did try and find out who was responsible for the titles, yeah. and I couldn't. Um, that led me on to another thing that I couldn't find out, which I will come to in a moment. Yeah, I know that um, it was Terence Dudley that uh, suggest it's Terence Dudley. That's correct, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Terence Dudley's the one who, because uh, uh, the interesting thing, he's the one who made that change from a mechanical to a human hand. Um, the the amazing thing about those title sequences is, in thirty seconds or probably less, the amount of of exposition that they get done, mm. uh, which amazes me. Um, and and it is actually quite chilling. Um, well, yeah. Again, it's that it's that whole ability to take to take a story and just tell it in 30 seconds in pictures. So even if you've not seen that first episode, even if you come in at Series 3, Episode 10, you know what's going on. It's a bit like the opening titles of Dad's Army. Yes. Everything you need to It's know. actually very similar to the opening titles. <laughs> <isn't it? Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you need to know for that series is right there. It's, yeah. it's just told to you. And Survivors does that absolutely beautifully. Yeah. There's so many interesting... What I like about it is, and every artistic endeavour's like this, obviously, but what I like about it is how much of a tug-of-war was going on between Nation and Dudley in that series, especially, which is why Nation took the ump and went, didn't he, after mm. Series 1. It um, does. Very cannily, he had it contracted that he wrote the first and last episode because he knew that on repeats, that would be the most lucrative. <laughs> he was now, such a bright man. This, now, this is the thing. Now, at this point, I must just say, I just knocked my notes over. I made notes. Can you believe Notes, dear. Notes. Good God, notes. man. So, here's my notes. Now then, so my question to myself, my little research question was this. Um, tried to find out who did the opening titles, couldn't find the information. But then I had another thought, which is this. Terry Nation is an interesting chap, isn't he? Because oh, yeah. he's... He's very much um, an ideas man, mm. I think. Now then, the first thing which is interesting in terms of ideas, and I don't know if you've come across this information, but Brian Clemens... Who, yeah, course, the legal action. Famous for the Avengers, uh, yeah. was absolutely adamant that he told Terry Nation this idea in 1965, and then Nation robbed yes. it. So I know the legal action happened. I don't know the outcome. Presumably, so it was he dropped. They dropped it. So in early uh, two months after the two months before the final episode of series one went out, mm. uh, Clemens he just said we just he realised how much money both men were spending, and they were like they both backed off. And and the sort of coder to that was Clemens is on the record saying as before Nation died, they mm. came to a sort of mutual understanding on it. Um, so Terry Nation was developing with Clemens 
the idea that became the survivors for Drama Playhouse because he was he, in seventy two he was he was getting he, he was working on two ideas for Drama Playhouse one which became the incredible Robert Baldick um, which is the Robert Hardy thing uh, and he's fantastic Wonderful. and I wish they'd made a series I mean you asked the other week what what do you, what's your fantasy series you wish they'd made that I love the end of it where they just mm. pull that circuit board out of the bag don't they what do you make of this. <laughs> I dug it up on the common mm. or something like that. Um, um, and so he, he worked with Clemens on the treatment. Um, and I can't remember who it said corroborated. I think it was Dudley who said it corroborated the story that Clemens didn't work, uh, didn't come up with the idea. But yeah, it is an interesting... Um, there's so much... There's so much DNA goes into this series, isn't there? There's so much that from those titles as well, and and from the amount of the cast that come from it, and personnel from Doomwatch, which mm. which seems to very much foreshadow Survivors. So it's, it's, it's without Doomwatch, you wouldn't have had Survivors. You wouldn't, no. Um, and the other the other stark thing, which I always think, which which always shocks me when I get to that very last frame of the action of an episode, is there's no incidental music. Yeah. And that was Nothing. that was again that was cost. Mm. <laughs> that was simply cost because the production schedule as such was was that they I think they had three directors on the series, didn't they? They had mm. Roberts, I can't remember the other two. Um so they had three directors, so Pennant Roberts was able to go in his camper van between mm. shoots. Um and and apparently the schedule was punishing, which is why Carolyn Seymour is kind of like the uh, Christopher Eccleston of Survivors, isn't she? She does one series, and that's she a lot. I mean, she she said that her agent came up with a fantastic deal, which led to the press saying she was the highest paid actress on British television. But the schedule, and an interesting thing about the schedule is because of industrial action, it was pushed back to the winter, the start of it, which is why the beginning of the series is all mud and gloom. And what, when you get to a new beginning at the end, it's spring, isn't it? Well, spring is, is something we'll talk about much more with Corn Dolly uh, as yes. we go on. But mm. um, I think it gives it that lovely sort of funereal feel. I mean, the opening establishing shot where Abby Grant is, is playing the tennis thing, and then you see it's a tennis machine, and you're thinking, oh, right, is this post-apocalypse? That's that's spoiled, isn't there, by a sort of a Harrods van passes by just on the horizon. You see a van go past. So that punctures it, really. It does, but it's that lovely way that we're being set up for what's to come because what we get there is absolute modernity, don't we? Yeah. we get Not the idea just that we've got a kettle and a telly, but we've got yes. someone who has got a tennis machine. That's which... replaced a human. Yes, so straight away we're into that point there. Um, and I, I was wondering, watching that, I'm thinking, would that have been in Nation's script? Was that somebody else? Was that the script editor? So here is what I then went on to, Mike. Okay. Terry Nation's an interesting one, isn't he? Because some of his scripts... Let, let's take that programme we don't ever talk about, Doctor Who. But he wrote... He wrote, he wrote one script and one sold script. it 20 no. times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always with the name Tarrant. Um, but we end up there with, yeah. we, we can see his work from 63 to 79. And every single time, it's like it's been written by a different writer. Now, the pinnacle of, of the writing that he did for Doctor Who is Genesis of the Daleks. Just script crying. edited by Robert Holmes. Yeah. So then that led me on to a thought. Who script edited Survivors? There's nobody in the credits. There's nobody in the credits, but Dudley extensively rewrote them. 
Right. He and extensively I, rewrote, and and that was the that was the contention between them. Mm. And I, that I mean, really interests me. I mean, of course, because Terence Dudley was already established as a writer and as a director. And uh, I found this lovely thing that Don Shaw, Don Shaw, of course, wrote a fair few episodes, said uh, he said that uh, Terry was a great originator of ideas. He wasn't the greatest of writers, but he had a very inventive mind. And I think that I can, now I can kind of understand a bit more mm. why Nation sort of backs off at that point, because... Yeah. How much of that dialogue was his? I know from reading up on Blake 7, for example, he would write that first episode, that, uh, and the first episode was beautifully done, but then, uh, you know, the, you get diminishing returns as he goes through the series, and he's yeah. submitting less and less, till eventually it's basically written on the back of a fag packet. Oh, you did yeah. something with that. And it, it's left to somebody else. So there is a part of me that thinks... You know, we always prefix these things with Terry Nation apostrophe S, Terry Nation's survivors, Terry Nation's Blake Seven. Well, the yeah. idea is, but are the scripts? But Terry Nation, it's it's a brand, isn't it? You know, he very firmly established himself as that brand. It is his signature. You know, I've got the Dalek special up here, which is Terry Nation's Dalek special. And it mm. was, it's sort of like a signature, isn't it? In the same way as Ripley's Believe It or Not are. You know, it's kind of, I think he very, very quickly early on staked his territory out within the industry. And his name became a meme, didn't it? For, for this is what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah, um, Absolutely. Terry Nation, for my money, this is this is the great thing about two of us. You know, never met the man. We've not even got like a degree of separation. But because he's such an iconic figure, we are able to sort of play with that mythology, aren't we? And, and give our opinion on what he is. I think he's a man to whom humility did not come easily. I also think he's a man who would be have been potentially uh, unpleasant. Um, I would say he would be very difficult to work with. We know that. But it's what he produced that's... It's all about the end product, isn't it? There's a line in uh, The Gathering Storm where Albert Finney plays Churchill, you know, and somebody's calling him an arsehole or whatever it is, and he's like, ah, but I am a great man. And I think that Terry Nation was one of those people. He, He steamrolled these things into existence with a combination of uh, astute financial acumen and also a nose for what worked, and and I think that his post-apocalyptic stuff in the in in the sixty, he obviously took the temperature of the times and realised that this bomb culture that you know we we frequently mention was leading. He he mined that seam of paranoia in the apocalypse, didn't he? Oh, he absolutely did. But how much of this is down to the work of uh, Ray Cusick, I wonder. I mean, when you consider the scripts he would have originally... I mean, he became famous, of course. He is the creator of the Daleks. He becomes famous for them. Would that have been the case if... I think it was Mervyn Pinfield, who was associate producer on Doctor Who, quite old-fashioned, and his opinion of the Daleks was they could be made very cheaply just with a silver cardboard tube. Now... (laughs) If that had happened and you'd have had men walking around in silver cardboard tubes, I wonder, would the the Daleks have been that popular? Would Nation have become what he was? Would we have had survivors? Would we have had Blake Seven? But he's a great example of how you create something, people, you're able to create something that's good enough for others to have faith in it and and, and to make it their own and then he gets the credit. 
I mean, he's great for that, isn't he? You've just oh, yeah. cited two other examples with the Daleks and with Blake Seven, because mm. there's so much of those things that are um, embellished by other people's creativity. Um, he's a typical kind of manager, isn't he? You know what I mean? He's a word. He, he embodies that old thing my granddad used to say to me, which was say yes to everything because someone will always help you out on the job. Yeah. No, you know. absolutely. I, I, I would agree with that. I'm just, I'm, it'd be fascinating. I think if you could actually just alter time slightly and just yeah. get those, get those silver tubes in, and then let's see, do we still get these series which he is? Yeah, so it would have been as forgotten. It would yeah. have been as yeah. It would have been like the Vord, or it would have been you know uh, like uh, your favorite Monoptera. You know, it would have been. It would have existed within that time frame, wouldn't it, as a curio? Whereas, I think Nation was one of these people, and I think the phrase, is it the Thomas Jefferson quote, I find the harder I work, the more luck I have. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of luck in his career. I mean, initially from meeting up with, uh, for working for Tony Hancock. Yeah. Um, and uh, Roger Hancock, I don't think he's still alive, is he? Tony's I brother? Don't... Think so because of course Roger Hancock uh, managed the Hancock estate, and that's yeah. why to this day we've never seen the ATV sitcom that yeah. uh, Hancock made. I mean, there's about four episodes out there on the collector circuit. Six, sorry, there's six, but that's not been released because it was substandard. So Roger Hancock was someone who, you know, vice-like grip. Amazing, you know, yeah. you see, you'll see like in the '90s and the 2000s something with a Dalek on, and there's Roger Hancock's name. You oh, know yes. that, and so meeting up with Hancock gave Nation that access to Roger Hancock, who really speaking, I don't, I don't know. Has there been a book written about Terry Nation? There should be. I think there is. Yeah, I think there is one. Now I think it's probably another one, which a bit like the end of the world book that's had a limited run. Right. I've got a feeling that there has been, and it's right. such a shame, isn't it? These books. There's a lovely book on the director Douglas Camfield that I want reprint it let's just get some reprints out yeah it. largely because i want to read it and I, didn't I know i feel the same i feel the same um about a lot of these books um i mean so 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 that's the kind of the, the person that nation was and without that kind of and what a great name as well oh, <laughs> i, I yes. mean you know i mean it's like it's it's nation. it's up there with being a footballer called george best yeah. you know <laughs> it, it's like to be born with these wonderful names um, mm. it, it's just brilliant. I mean, Terry Nation is it rolls off the tongue. You know what I mean. Mm. And when you see him in in person on uh, what's the wicker? I like all of my monsters to have Oedipal complex. complexes. I think, yeah. Um, in that he's 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 a big bugger, isn't he as well? Oh yeah. So he's okay. sort of like this big. So imagine working with a guy who's like knows what you know totally like laser focus. I know what the fuck I want. I'm enormous. <laughs> I've got a cool yeah. name. I look like a French film star. I'm going to mm-hmm. sit at the back smoking fags and being enigmatic. I can imagine. Mm. That's what I mean. He's one of those people that that you need these enormous personalities within anything like that. Otherwise, they don't happen. And then they push on these, these things until they live and they've got a momentum of their own. And mm. you know in your own life, and I know in my life, we've had to be that person sometimes. You know what I mean? And, mm. you, and, and you get that... Th- that flush of power when you're involved with stuff. It's kind of like, you know where you end up feeling like, <laughs> like you're spinning loads of plates effortlessly oh, and you're yes. turning round and doing it and, and you're like, woohoo, but you're kind of on a unicycle, aren't you? Yeah. 
mm. you know, and you and you know you can topple at any time. There are some people that float above that, and just by sheer force of personality, they have this perception shield around them, and they're also they've got that quite unemotional thing whereby they don't mind the confrontation. Now that I think is I don't know mm. about you, but that's where I. I'm removed from this personality yeah. type because I don't like confrontation. But without that, you're absolutely. You know, I'm waffling on here. But 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 it's the no. the stags locking horns, isn't it? In the same way that Greg and Charles do in it. it it's that kind of mm. the way that Pennant Roberts and Terry Nation, you know. I just love the idea of Pennant Roberts just completely rewriting this stuff. Nation going fucking nuts, and then Pennant Roberts is just like. It's weird. It's kind of like it's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. No, it's mine. And apparently, the um, the novels that are written by Terry Nation aren't they? Apart from, is it the third one? It's not written by him, isn't it? Isn't it written by the is guy that, you mentioned? Uh, that that's Don. It's either, it's either Don Shaw or Jack Ronda. I can't remember which. No, one. I can't remember which. But I mean, he's kind of a little like. Um, is it not Spielberg? Who's the other beard face? Who's the beard-faced guy who does Star Wars? Lucas. Lucas, Lucas kind George of... Lucas. He starts off franchises and then runs out of steam, doesn't he? And other people continue it. But again, it's it's Lucasfilm. It's Terry Nation. It's Spielberg. It's it's these big personalities, really. Um, and and so it's, it's, a, it's a product of its time, isn't it? Because you've got Nation mining this apocalyptic scene which is just hit cash cow there because of the times the paranoia um you've got pennant roberts um who um sorry terence dudley who is an actor and a director and he's also got that acumen hasn't he i mean he's got such acumen that he squeezes his poor son onto the screen who doesn't want to be an actor you know Mm, um i think i may have been confusing Dudley with Roberts though when I was describing the anger think, between I the two you men. Did, but Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it, the fact that you get those <coughs> the two kids turning up, and there's there's a little link there to to be drawn in a moment. But let's discuss the absolute star of Terry Nation survivors, Peter Bowles. Now, then, oh well, Peter yes. Bowles. I mean, now, if well, you are going to launch a series in 1975, you need a star who can carry your 13 episodes. That's Peter Bowles. We've got this yeah. career extending in television back to the late 50s. We need Peter Bowles. Sign him up for all 13 or not. Yeah. It's Interesting. Got the, it's got the same impact as Jeffrey Palmer dying in the Silurians, hasn't it? Because it has. you don't expect these people to die. There's that, um, you know, it's it's kind of... We're all right. Look, I mean, so it starts off, doesn't it? You've got Abby that. You've got the phone calls. You've got the phone line going down. You've got... um, You've got the trains. This is the age of the train. You've got all of that. You've got the cutaways to London where you see uh, Jen and the overcrowded hospitals. And then, Mm. you know, so society is falling apart. Um, And then, you know, uh, you meet up with the doctor, don't you, as well? And the doctor's just, uh, he he describes, is it chicken soup about the flu? Or is that after Bowles arrives? Anyway, you've got the whole of society seemingly, it's like, Jesus Christ, what, this is six days and we're here. You know, and in the 70s, that must have been terrifying. Absolutely. But then, but then, Then. Peter Bowles turns up and you're like, ah, 
relax. We can relax. We've got the calming Peter Bowles, lovely, with his voice and his face, and you know it's Peter Bowles. That's all good. And then, of course, Carolyn Seymour gets sick. Ooh, minor actress. Who knows what's going to happen yeah. there? Kill her off. Let's see how Peter Bowles takes on zombies. And uh, I love how he's asked off when he turns up. I'm yeah. bloody angry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like. What does he say? He got a, a lift to Slough and then a train to here and then a bus to there and then he finally got home. Mm. Um, but yeah, I love how he's pissed off and, and a, a sign of the times, I suppose, is he drives the car back, doesn't yes, he? He, he gets does. in the car and drives it back. She doesn't drive it. She drove no. it there. But yeah. by the time... And you don't see a shift in the seat, so she's obviously got there, gone and sat in the passenger side, ready for him, had a kit. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So... We get Peter Bowles turning up, and then, of course, we've got these lovely scenes uh, with the village doctor. I mean, there's only two scenes with the doctor. The first one's quite quick, where he's saying, oh, well, I'll come around later and give you your jabs. There's this thing going on. Don't worry yeah. about it. It's a flu. And then we see him one more time, and that's when Peter Bowles encounters him at night. And he's got Yeah, when Abby's hill. Ill, isn't when it? Abby's She's ill, Ill, yeah. And he just looks... Uh, Peter Bowles and there's a lovely shot of him in the in the car and he says they're dying and it's yeah. just so stark and the way that he delivers this information is just so burr and suddenly you're faced with this reality of oh this is this isn't a serious thing that we're looking at here there's mm. nothing cozy in that first episode at all there's nothing no. light. There's nothing where you can go, well, at least there was that moment. This is just stark. Yeah. Horrific, really. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the sort of, there's, there's a lovely human moment as well, isn't there? When Jenny manages to get the doctor, and I don't know his name, I know he's quite well known at the time, um, to come back to her flat where her mate's there, and then it's like, she's dead or she's dying and the doctor she's shows dead, yeah. she's dead and the doctor doesn't show any emotion and then she comes out with you know you've been having an affair with her for the last two years and it's just like to tell these huge stories on a small personal level mm. is always the the real trick of a storyteller it is and to be able to give out so much information in so few words. I mean, that scene where they're back in Jenny's flat, it's a short scene, but it is packed with information, not just story, but also, as you say, character. Suddenly this, you've got two minor characters and one of them's dead, but all yeah. of a sudden, you know their relationship from that, and to give out that information, and it's not done in this schlocky way or anything like that. Yeah. It's it's very straightforward and to the point. It's It's... Lovely, the right. I'm going to find out the actor's name because he, he deserves it, and you'll know. I know you. I know what you're like. You'll I will know, know it. I will um, know it. But he is the emotion he gets. You know when he loses it when he's lighting the candle. I mean, it's mm. one of those '70s studio shots. So he lights the candle, and a bloody light goes on in the background. You know. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Um, oh, where is he? I'm. I'm presuming he's Callum Mill, Doctor yes, Gordon. Yes, right. I don't right. know that guy. Go on. So what do you know about him? Right. I'm going to have to have a little think. He's a very let, handsome let us, chap. Very handsome chap. He is, isn't he? He looks like he's kind of an emergency ward 10 general hospital type guy. He does. And and straight away, there's another person who, looking at him, you think, there's a series lead. This will be starring Callum and Peter. Survivors yeah. on BBC Yeah, 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 yeah. You, all of these characters are built up so well. 
that why would you believe that we are going to lose any of them? Because why have you invested so much time creating a character like the character who Peter Pol- Peter Bowles plays? If you're going to invest in a character as yeah. a writer, then of course usually it's because you're setting them up for great things, or it's because you want to punch the audience right in the kidneys, mm. which is exactly what they do. Because of course, as we know, Peter Bowles doesn't survive the morning. Well, no, maybe he does. Maybe he does. We don't know quite how long. But, I mean, Abby is prior to book. that, you've got Jenny leaving London, haven't you? And you've got mm. that scene where she and, and the very sort of ah, oh, that girl, cool, blimey, the the kind of you know, just a bit, a bit of comedy files where they're off. Uh, we've got shopping rather, to right? do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the feeling I get where they describe the the motorway being bumper to bumper, this, that, and you know all the. I, it paints that picture in your head, doesn't it, of this guy who might have been, you know, uh, Callum Hill's character. He might have been not the most virtuous of men, but he's redeeming himself. He's willing to stay behind in... Can you imagine what... I mean, it, it, we're talking about... He's talking about millions dying, isn't he? In yeah. this city, and he's like, get out, and he stays behind. So, so you've got a redemption story early on. And then, as you say, when Abby wakes up after... I presume a couple of days she's been out with the lurgy, isn't she? she? Oh, the death. We never find out what what kind of illness it is. Oh no, doesn't the doctor say it's not it's not flu? I've uh, never yeah, seen that, anything like this. That's right. I mean, we yeah. you know we've we've got the idea that it is something artificial. It is something man made. But as with any illness, you do have a certain percentage of the population who will have that natural immunity. Mm. So we we assume that that's the case here. Um, that Abby is someone who has been ill and recovered, one of those very few. Um, so can I just, little tangent here, can we talk mm. motorways for a moment? Yeah. Um, because last night I was, the other another series I'm working through at the moment, introducing to my children for the first time. Um, oh, Python, yeah? Yeah, for, uh, the old flying circus, which I See, I've learned now, down. Paul, sorry to interrupt, from listening to these, we hold things up and don't say what they are, and then people listening are like, what? So... Oh. For the benefit of those listening on wireless, <laughs> I'm holding up the box set of Monty Python's Flying Circus. And there's a lovely Series 2 episode um, where Michael Palin's having a, a dinner party and there's a knock on the door and it's John Cleese and he's a dung, sir, got your dung. And then other people keep turning up and they're bringing him free things. Go, oh, you bought a cooker, so I brought your free dead Indian and all this sort of thing. And then his wife gets a phone call um, and says, Darling, there's a man here who says that for every cooker we buy, we get the M4 motorway. Cut to film. And there is Palin, the woman who's playing his wife, not Carol Cleveland on this occasion, stood in the middle of a motorway, no traffic. And you get that in Survivors as well. Mm. What sort of a ball ache and logistical nightmare must it have been to have had motorways closed because I know there was less traffic on the road. Forty. What they generally years do ago. is mm. there are stretches. There certainly were in the seventies. There were stretches that were being constructed, so you could use them. Ah, right. And then they've also, in the past, I've read that they use ones that are being worked on. You know, and they shut them down. Um, so that so that's how they cover that. But I, I mean, you don't actually see the motorway in Survivors. It's just spoken of. You do you know. not see? Do you not see it right at the beginning? I, I got a feeling, or is it an A road where Jenny runs down and almost uh, gets to? Uh, Are you talking Abby? about that scene? That the very first scene they shot when they were making it was the one where the guys are looting, and that's uh, London Westway. 
No, I'm thinking there's a scene where uh, Carolyn Seymour's bombing it down the road and then uh, Jenny, Lucy Fleming, uh, runs and you can see uh, through the back of the car that she runs and she almost gets there. That looks very motorway-like. Maybe it's an A-road, I'm not sure. Oh, right, I'd, 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 I'd be lying um, if I said I knew. But, but yes, yeah, so she wakes up and Bowles is, is dead on the sofa. Bowles is dead with, what, 20 minutes into episode one and Bowles is dead. Now, that's yeah. a ballsy thing to do yeah that really is ballsy to do something and of course a very conscious decision we sit here now saying isn't it amazing because you've got peter balls you're going my god he's dead which is exactly exactly what terence dudley would have wanted in 1974 you know that's a genius trick that's oh absolutely absolutely i mean um to to kill off the the classic leading man i mean but of course this series uh, and I'm presuming it was a conscious decision. Has has a very strong leading woman in it, in in Carolyn Seymour, and mm. and when she sort of she gets up, doesn't she? And she's like, "Is it? Oh God, don't let me be the only one." And that for me, because we don't know if anybody's survived at that point, do we? She's going around, she goes to the doctor's house and all she sees, I found it quite comedic, I'm sorry to say, where you just see his feet as as he's lying in the hallway, (laughs) you see his feet there, and she ends up going to the... Sorry. That shot that you just mentioned there, I think that for me, that that's pretty much the defining moment for me in episode one, where she comes out of the church. Obviously, she's gone to the church to find yeah. sanctuary. There are dead people in there, only about four, because that's how many extras you could probably get. But you've got them, and then she walks out, closes the door behind her, and she looks up, and that's where she says, oh, please, God, don't let me be the only one. And the camera pans yeah. up on that massive crane yeah. shot. It's a huge shot. They've yeah. got presumably on a cherry picker, something like that. Yeah. That that shot is beautiful, and it gives you that sense of total isolation. Yes, beautiful. and and because you've got this amazing actress in the shape of her, who's mm. carrying the show, it's mm. it is just th- yeah. That's 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 the one where I suppose the viewer at that point didn't. I suppose they got the idea with the title being Survivors mm. that there was going to be other people, but. It's the thing that when we bowl through our daily life and we whinge about queues and we whinge about traffic and the crowds on the trains and uh, you know and everyone's the enemy, aren't they? When you're going about your daily business, it's just like, ah, oh, you bastards, fuck, get out me, fuck, you know what I mean? Mm. But if they weren't there, mm. you know the the fear of it, and 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 then she finds someone, doesn't she? She goes to Peter's school, her son's school, and and mm. you get that great turn by Peter Copley. Oh, wonderful, wonderful yeah. Peter Copley. I mean, two turns in the year. We don't just get him in this, we get him in Pyramids of Mars that shot the same year. He's fantastic. Now, there's a man. There, he's the ultimate granddad figure, yeah. isn't he? He's just a lovely, avuncular man. I think his last appearance before he died was an episode of Casualty, um, playing a very elderly gay man. And it was a beautifully written script about the difference between being gay then um, when he would have been young in the presumably the 30s but there's an actor who there's there's a warmth there and mm. that ability to empathize with them and that whole scene is played beautifully as well and oh, that yeah. i think again that's where we come back to rehearsal because that's a scene the dialogue's not naturalistic at all yeah. Obviously, nobody talks like they talked in the 70s on television. It doesn't happen. 
but it feels as though they possibly did. And that's rehearsal, isn't it? That's finding the speech patterns in the script. That's finding those moments. And it's, I think for me, it's also Survivor's benefit so much, especially when it gets to about halfway through and we stop having the mixture of video in the studio and mm. film on location. Yes. When we get to that point where everything is on video. And that's starvation, and, isn't it? That, that, from that episode onwards, from starvation. That's right. And they're working just with two cameras one of which is a bit faulty, as we know, especially in season three. But you've got two cameras, so the actors are able to play those scenes start to finish, rather than doing it as a single camera. And it becomes, they, they stop being um, transient, don't they? And they mm. settle in that Hampton, not the Hampton Court, but the location mm. is Hampton Court, isn't it, on the borders, That's uh, right, Welsh yeah. border. And, and then it becomes an ensemble piece. Then it becomes mm. all on um, OBVT. And then they stop moving around and they start becoming a settlement. I mean, starvation is the point where the, the, the whole thing does flip. But to continue your point on uh, episode one, I mean, one thing that strikes me is Abby goes back, doesn't she? She's like, right, okay, she gets her head around it. She's met someone. She isn't the only one. So she goes back home. Smokes a fag, super mm-hmm. cool, right? Never runs out of fags, Abby. Never. Right, in the whole... You know, they're like, oh, we haven't got any petrol. Oh, we haven't got any food. Oh, well, she's got a, she's got plenty of Benson and Edges, won't you get... I mean, in the final episode, you see her rolling her own fags. So, so mm. obviously, they've run low on stocks by then. So, um, yeah, she, she rolls a fag, cuts all her hair off, doesn't she? Has a shower where, with a little the bit of saucy bit. Tea, a little bit of saucy, which is interesting, isn't it? Because what we've got is we've got uh, we've got a program with a, f- a strong female lead, and that must have been quite jarring at the time for a lot of the audience to have that. Uh, but we do still, never the you know, we get a little bit of tit and bum thrown in there yes. just for titillation's sake, because because yes. you could. But then again, is it for titillation's sake? She simply takes a shower. And we see that Yeah, no, but we're perverts, Paul, so obviously we would colossal. read that into it. So colossal. so colossal. So she, she does the saucy saucy shower bit, cuts mm. her hair off, smokes mm. a fag, burns mm. the house down, and then fucks mm. off in the Volvo out the good life. Yes. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> so so that's kind of um that establishes the pattern. And what I love about those credits, as you mentioned before, what I love about them is the action continues under the credits. Mm. Doesn't it? It does, and uh, to begin with, of course, we get uh, credits where they come up one after the other. Yeah. But then eventually we go to the roller credit, and I prefer the roller uh, for some. Right. Which, which is a strange thing, listeners, viewers. I'm, I'm prepared to admit that I have a, a, a distinct difference of opinion uh, with certain people, but I do prefer a roller. I don't know. I think that stylistically, the the lack of incidental music, mm. uh, the the willingness to take massive risks in the interests of dramatic narrative and mm. um, the solid performances that you've got i i mean yeah. the, the actors that they got for that um june hudson's the costume designer in it so you've got that level of accuracy yeah. you know um she talks about how you know um dudley had a fit at the money she'd spent on greg's anorak which was out of this posh ski shop mm. um you know, it's it's just quality. I'm try I'm racking my brains to think and, and, and what, what does come to mind unfortunately. I don't think Tanya Ronda, Jack Ronda's daughter as Lizzie, is mm. bad. But I think no. poor old Stephen Dudley as John. There's bits where he's like that, looking at the camera, isn't he? He is. Hello, now, Dad. It, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the first time I think he's ever seen on screen, 
uh, is in an episode of Doomwatch that is dad direct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The most famous episode of Doomwatch, Tomorrow the Rat, about genetically mutated rats. And it's a, it's a perfect piece of television, apart from there's a scene where the rats attack Robert Powell. And you can see they are literally just stuck on him while yeah. he's waving a frying pan. The rats just don't move. And uh, Stephen Dudley features in the opening title sequence, uh, being pushed in his pram, and then a rat comes up to him, and he says his first line ever on television as he leans forward, and he keeps repeating the word pussy. (laughs) So we get that start, and then... um, But in fairness to the guy, he didn't want to do it. He didn't didn't. want to do it. It's just (laughs) like, you know, I mean, this is like you with the why don't you thing again, isn't it? It's just like... (laughs) But he just didn't want to do it. I mean... Taken me a week to get over that. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. it's like me but, with why don't you? You're but but yes. but the, there are echoes of the rat thing in in the episode Starvation, where the pack of rabid dogs, you know, and, and Ian McCulloch's <laughs> having to grab the dog's head, and it's just like this dog's like, <laughs> it's just really <laughs> and nice. Just sat around the van, and they're like, well, we can't leave the van. It was just dogs sunbathing. It's beautiful that moment. Yeah. yeah. But very Ian McCulloch, well, very well groomed dogs. Very well groomed. I know they're not even ratty or tatty or out, are they? But no. episode two sort of, and we're not going to do all 13, dear oh, no. listeners, we'd be here all week, but just to make the point that Greg's arrival in episode two in the helicopter. In the helicopter. And then his dead wife, I thought you'd have lived just to spite me. It's, oh, it's kind of like John perfect. Wayne, isn't he? It is. It's perfect 70s macho. After that first episode where we've got these two female leads, in he comes. Straight away, you expect him to be drinking a scotch and then slapping the corpse. Yeah! <laughs> it's, yeah. it's lovely, though, to suddenly get that that uh, juxtapositioning of characterization. Yeah. I absolutely But in love Starvation, that. when Abby goes out with the gun, when Tom Price is... Um, to- no, she's not got... Oh, she has got the gun. I can't remember where she- Anyway, Tom Price... Um, so there's Emma, isn't there? The sort of starvation introduces, aside from the change, as we said, in OB, and I know I'm jumping ahead here a bit, I shouldn't really, but it's kind of a, a relevant point about characterization. Um, you you got the cottage, haven't you, with Emma, the Jewish matriarch, which is uh, Maria, Maria Anna Pravda. Pravda. Yeah, yep. fantastic. And Wonderful Julie actress. Neubert, or is it Neubert as Wendy? Neubert, yeah. Uh, and they're in the cottage, and Tom Price is just, you know, as we see later in Law and Order, but Tom Price obviously takes a shine to Wendy. And but Tom Price, of course, is the wonderful Talfrin Thomas. Yeah. My God, now there is an actor who had uh, such versatility. I mean, he was... The, the lovely thing, uh, the story I always come back to with Talfrin Thomas is, of course, after James Beck died on Dad's Army. They needed a new character, yeah. so they bring Telfrin Thomas in as Private Cheeseman. And he only lasts one series, and that's because John Laurie doesn't like him, because he's too good, and he gets the laughs. So so that was yeah. it. He's like, well, you can have him or me. Off you go, Telfrin. But he makes that impression, and I think he makes such a wonderful impression, whatever he is in. Um, in uh, the first John Pertwee Doctor Who, he plays a hospital port. He's yeah. got three scenes, but he plays... Well, he's in episode one, isn't he? We didn't... Is it... Wait, was it t- yeah, he's in one, isn't he? He is in episode one, yeah. Doesn't he? Uh, he meets Jenny on. Yeah. Uh, is it? Is that? He'll keep hill? walking. That's it. Yeah. You know, and, and you've he... got a lovely shot there, which shows the whole hill, and she stood on that there on frame, and he stood on the other edge yeah. of frame, and this expanse of nothing between them. And again, like with that crane shot lifting up yeah. uh, outside the church on on Carolyn Seymour. Once again, you've got this idea of isolation of people 
you can have two people there, but they are absolutely isolated from each other. It's beautiful direction. Oh, the Yanks will have something. You'll see. <laughs> They'll come up with something, same as in the war. Um, but Talfrin, so to make that point in, in uh, Starvation, uh, Jenny says about um, Abby going out to confront whatever, ta- they don't know who it is. They, they can just hear gunfire. And Jenny says about Abby, she's braver than me. And uh, Greg responds with and me mm. you know so there's an acknowledgement there that 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 abby is the sort of you know the character i mean mm. to spin it on a little bit i mean aside from um the great thing in episode two is we get wormley um who's george played by george baker, baker which mm. is you see so you've got that wonderful little quite short-lived really um thing going on with a, a, a government um and uh, you've got that wonderful episode, haven't you? Um, oh, let me try and remember it now. I can't remember. Um, but moving on to Corn Dolly, which was one that we wanted to uh, talk about. And that's the first one that Nation doesn't write, isn't it? So that's Jack yeah, Ronda. that's Jack Ronda. Now, as you said before, of course, Jack Ronda's daughter, Tanya Ronda. Is she still working as an actress? Yeah. Cause well, yeah. she was, you know, before all this nonsense. She might well, still... Yes. So... Um, she comes in in the next episode with poor Stephen Dudley. Yeah. Uh, they turn up in that next episode. But we do get our first ch- a taste of a bit of child acting here with the character of Mick. Now then. Well, Keith Jane. Keith Jane. And where do we know him from? Well, well, I know him from Stig of the Dump and as Boxer Reed in Murphy's Mob. And ah, you'll know him from The Awakening, won't you? From The yeah. Awakening and yeah. Doctor Who as Will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So there we've got an actor. He was going to be a companion, wasn't he, though? He was, but they, I think the what they came up with, it was a very sort of like short-lived idea because straight away it's a bit like when they introduced Fraser Hines. Uh, Fraser Hines' character in Doctor Who, who was uh, a Highlander from 1746. Um, straight away they introduced him because, of course, they love Fraser Hines. Patrick Troughton loves Fraser Hines. Annika Wills loves Fraser Hines. Get Fraser Hines on board. So... He's written into the rest of the show. He's like the fifth Beatle, isn't he, at that he point? He absolutely is. I think his his first story, I think, is The Moon Base, and he doesn't really do much in two of the episodes because they haven't got time to rewrite it. Put him unconscious. But um, I've completely forgotten what we were talking about, Mike. How embarrassing. Uh, we were talking about Khan Dolly, but as a, as a sort of addition to Fraser Hines, I remember when I had the Fury from the Deep Cassettes. Mm. You remember before they found the Graham Strong recordings, those awful ones they released? Yes. And... Um, there's a great line in Fiori from the Deep from from uh, Fraser Hines, which I sampled on a track. We were doing all this dance music at the time. And he says, little wriggly things in the weed. <laughs> <laughs> and we I were talking the point. I remember the point. Keith so, Jane. Keith Jane, that's it. So um, I think that if Doctor Who had still been being made like it was, because he's in that in 83. Four. Oh. 84. Thought the awakening was 84. 84, you're right, actually, 84. Now, if they'd have still been making it like they were in 1966, where they were only recording two weeks ahead of transmission and everything is being done at a rate of knots, I suspect they would have put him in there and Hmm. dealt with the problem, which is why Keith Jane didn't get asked to stay on, which is if you've got someone who is an ignorant 15th century peasant... 17th century peasant then all you've got is someone you've got to explain things to he doesn't know what t is as we know from the end so he doesn't know what t is he's not going to know what dimensions are so that's why he wasn't uh, kept on but he's a good strong actor he's brilliant in this 
he does a lovely performance. Maybe the bit where he breaks down and ha- and starts crying when they're in the caravan. Maybe that's, that's a bit. Yeah, that is a little bit. Uh, um, yeah. Yes, I don't understand that because he's so solid and everything. He's in the uneeding line, isn't he? As the cabin mm. boy, he's, yes, he's he in is. that. For, I think he's a series regular in that. Um, yeah, I don't understand why that particular part it's, it's it's one of those things isn't it it's kind of like right everybody's dead you've watched all your family die right mm. and how old is he though because he doesn't he have some kind of uh disorder he's, he's got some genetic disorder whereby he doesn't grow very big his career was ended actually i remember reading some time ago by um the the there was a story in the press that said he contracted cjd you know, as a, as a result of this neurological condition. And so he he said that after that, no one wanted to hire him. Oh, my God. And apparently that he didn't have it, but that's that was the story in the press. And the, for, the But he was, um, he was kind of like um, Simon Gipps Kent, wasn't he? He was, that, he was that ubiquitous in the 70s as that um, titular child star, really. Absolutely, but, yeah. But he's, is he, he's not in this much, is he, in Corn Dolly? Uh, 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 in in the series, rather, sorry. I, I think we see him in Corn Dolly, and I think that's it, because, of yeah. course, Corn Dolly takes place at White Cross, and then, for reasons we will come on to, they feel that they can't stay, which leads to one of the biggest about-faces in characterization in television history, of course, um, which is to do with Dennis Lil. Now, Dennis Lil... I love uh, all my wives, a... Jenny. Oh, I, love <laughs> I love Dennis We need Lil. you. Everything you need us. In. And, of course... <laughs> Dennis Lil, there he is, sat there with little Keith Jane in a caravan. Ten years later, Keith Jane kills him in Doctor Who by pushing him through uh, a war. You've got that lovely little connections there. Yeah. Dennis Lil, um, as an actor, is one of those people who can't, in my mind, ever give a bad performance and who can't give less than 100% mm. commitment. You've got that lovely Welsh voice there for a start. You've got that. Um, those eyes? Yes. The eyes are amazing, aren't they? Absolutely yeah. stunning. Whatever he's in, he was in an episode of Red Dwarf playing some sort of, I can't remember, he was bald and a simulant or something. But back. even there... Oh, sorry, uh, I, I didn't hear that. You froze a uh, bit, mate. Sorry. He's uh, he's in an episode of Red Dwarf and he's all shaven-headed and he's playing some sort of sci-fi simulant. Yes. Um, it's a sort of a, it's a comedic role, but my God, he inhabits even that. Yeah, he's Cassandra's dad in uh, Phil's and Arses, most famously, isn't he? Don't watch it, Common. Uh, yes, Common, Common sitcom. Well, I did. I've, I've watched <laughs> it so you don't have to. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, he plays, I'm trying to remember his, Alan Parry is the character's name. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't he in real life go and live with that commune that... that the film White Cross on. I'm sure he did. He went and lived there for part of the year. I think his marriage ended and uh, he went and lived with them. I think it's in this book. I've only I've confined myself to reading about series one because that's what we decided. So I'm sure he went and lived in that commune that whatever they were called. Um, but yeah, you get that locking of horns, don't you? That first one between Greg and Charles there. And then, you of course, Greg do. plays the guitar. It's kind of yes. that middle class dinner party, isn't there? Wherever, and it's like, oh, it's almost normal. Now, past, this, is, past this is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because one of the things that survivors took a lot of flack for in the press was the fact that everybody was a little bit middle class. Uh, yes. Aside from Telfrin Thomas, who is, of course, as we're about to find out, not the nicest of people. Um, but 
did, did when you first watched the series, whenever that was, for me, I think it must DVDs must, for me. It must. I think it was UK Gold for me when they uh, started playing it out on there. Uh, it was. I remember it was. It was repeated, and I was at uni, and my poor mother had to record the uh, record it on VHS and then send it to uni so I could right. watch these things. Um, did it strike you particularly that there was an absence of people outside of the middle class? Did that? Did... Well, yes, the common people wouldn't live, dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, you get in, in the second episode, you get Wormley's henchmen, don't you? They're kind of I like that. Uh, yes. You've got a tramp that lives in Talfrin in Tom Price, um, but everyone is oh yes, frightfully middle class, aren't they? They are. Yes. Um, I mean, is it is it the third episode where we're introduced to Vic Thatcher, where he's stuck in that quarry with the the sort of the 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 Bollinger drinking debutante? Uh, now then, he's stuck there. Is it Myra Francis? Yes. Now then, Myra Francis, uh, who who died quite recently. Oh She's, man, beautiful, um, beautiful girl, beautiful woman. Uh, and if you look at her Twitter, or more importantly, her husband's. Her husband uh, was Peter Egan from Ever Decreasing oh, Circles. Oh really? And she died just recently. And reading his tweets about her, it's the most. He always oh, signs off uh, love from Peter and Myra, even though she's died. Um, and I have only ever seen her see, seen her playing absolutely horrendous evil people. The character of Anne that she plays in Survivors, horrific. She is quite prepared to leave. Is is Vic her husband, or has she just no. met up with him? No, I right. think she's just met up with him. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. There is, there is some. I'm trying to think of the specifics of how horrible she is. <laughs> Because there is something, isn't there? Well, she she, as soon as Greg turns, she leaves him to die. But when Greg turns up, instantly it's like, oh, yeah, he's a better. It's better that and the fact that she says to Greg when he comes back at the end to try and help, and he's brought medicines and stuff. He's dead. And of course, as we find out later, yeah. Well, as we start, we get another lovely crane shot, don't we? I've just remembered we get a crane shot pulling out of the quarry, and Vic with his broken legs pulls himself to the door of the. Of the porter cabin and screams for her as the camera sort of pulls up. You get these yeah. a, another isolation shot. God, those are lovely. Those shots, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but and the, 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 the other place. Sorry, go on. I'm just thinking with what you how you described that the cycle the psychological impact for the viewer mm. that even now you talk about. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's 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 horrific and. Uh, the only other place that I knew her from was one of my very first memories of uh, Doctor Who. She plays Lady Adrasta in The Creature from the Pit. Yeah. Um, again, a horrific person. And yet you read about her. She was the this yeah, the thing that her and Peter Egan care most about in the world seems to be animal rights. Mm. That's what they both believed yeah. in. That's what they both campaigned for. Um, I so also read, just as an aside... Drugs. Uh, for you, and you probably know this anyway, is that originally for the role of Abby, they considered Wanda Ventham. And um, and Dudley said that she looked a little bit too well-fed to be a survivor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love Wanda Ventham. Oh, yeah, but not as Abby Grant. Not as Abby Grant. I mean, if you want to see Wanda Ventham at being wonderful, you've got to watch the series, The Lotus Eaters, her and Ian Henry. Um, oh, yeah. Perfect together, um, and she was the only person who could cope with Ian Hendry when they were shooting. Uh, they shot it in um, Ios Nicholas in Crete, 
And Henry, of course, by that point, is already a raging alcoholic. And she was the only person who could deal with Henry. So if Henry was arsehole, they'd say, Wanda, can you go over? What? Why me? Well, he won't hit you. And she was the only person they could guarantee Henry wow. wouldn't hit. Um, and absolutely, just just a stunning performer. But no, I, I would agree with Terence yeah. Stanley on this. Maybe not the best. That, and Benedict Cumberpatch's mum, isn't she? That's right. As I, I love Ian Hendry in uh, the pilot of... Well, it's not the pilot. The first episode of The Sweeney. When mm. he goes into the uh, second-hand shop, and it's like that old boy, the captain, who has got Regan's effect or whatever, and the Sweeney have been in. And he runs his hand... His finger along the brim of his cat, uh, and it's uh, honestly, I think it's called uh, Ringer. The first mm. episode, um, just that moment with Ian Hendry, the way he is. Brian Blessed is the crime boss in that, in a very unconvincing, grey beardy, dyed beard. He was obviously yeah. trying to shake off the Z cars thing then. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, we are we are diverging here, di- diverging ourselves. So. Um, what was it? Corn, Corn Dolly. Dolly. Right. So, so, so the thing back. we haven't described, yeah. though, is the this superstition thing that's in it again, isn't it? You know, that's that's in the whole thing. Um, is it is it Isla or Lorraine who, who the the old? Well, she's thirty odd. The older character in it who complains about them putting the Corn Dolly up. You put that up once we've got the harvest in. Yes. Not mm. no. now again. So what you get, of course, with it being the nineteen seventies, we are at the time of. Um, plays for today like Robin Redbreast we've just had the Wicker Man I think folk, folk horror is something yeah. that survivors effortless, effortlessly taps into it's not trying to be a folk horror but it establishes that through its use of the countryside through those lovely shots where you see a couple of people on the horizon we've got that those folk horror elements in Survivors, yeah. which is, for me, another re- reason why it's absolutely captivating, more than Penda's Fen. So, <laughs> you've got that. Um, but, and I think within it, though, of course, we do have to go back to him, lovely Dennis Lill, who... I love all my wives, Jenny. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah. who's, who just wants to get everyone pregnant. Now, yeah, that's an interesting character thing for me, because... You've you've very much got this sort of split, haven't you? You've got Dennis Lil thinking we've got to repopulate the earth, and you go, yeah, fair enough. But you've also got Dennis Lil going, I want to fuck everything. That, yeah. No, so it, he's he's a complex character, but he's played beautifully by Dennis Lil. So even though you basically he is a bit of a wrongum, you're still mm. going. But I can see where. You're well, he's from, um. Dennis. He literally says, "Is he literally says in it, doesn't he?" Is like you know, before this, we we lived the good life, mm. which is which is difficult now to divorce from you know the the series that gave them the Volvo. Yeah, uh, but he he literally did that, didn't he? So he was someone uh, that him and his wife kept animals, they grew food mm. and all this other stuff. So you you sort of give him free passes if it's all part of husbandry, really. Yes, isn't yeah, it? You, do. Um, you know. But we get this, of course, when we next see Charles, when he becomes a, a regular character in series two, there has been this colossal shift. Suddenly he doesn't want to fuck everything that moves. He's not desperate to impregnate everything with a pulse. But again, because it's it's played so well by Lil, it doesn't feel as though you've got this this jarring thing going on. It, mm. it feels as though it is a natural, a natural progression for the character. Yeah. And again, it makes the character sympathetic as well. Yeah. Um, the one thing as well I noticed with this is the 70s 
uh, television seems to be awash with the same sound effects of crows or chickens. I, I notice sound effects that you hear in Wurzel Gummidge on on this on on uh, survivors and it's that sound of crows is very 70s tv isn't it it is now i'll tell you what somewhere i don't know i'll, I'll find them for next week if i can somewhere um recently uh, i was contacted by someone who had a load of 45 inch uh, 45 rpm singles and they are the original not commercially available bbc sound effects singles that were kept in the library for them to play off. And I've got the crows. And, wow. and I also have the one uh, crash of thunder that you hear on everything. There's one particular crash of thunder, and I'll, I'll do it. Is like it the one off the beginning of The Prisoner? It is the one off the beginning yeah. of The Prisoner that you will hear in The Prisoner. You'll hear it in, uh, you'll hear it in Survivors. It's in course- Steptoe, in the wooden overcoats. You oh, know when are. they get all those coffins? And they're shitting themselves stuck in the house. They won't go in the yard. Or if they got them in the... Anyway, whichever it is. And, it, and, and, and it's jarring we, now. You know it from the prisoner. It is. But it's this lovely thing as well, because, of course, we do get this sort of beginning of commercialism at the BBC with that as well. So if you watch episodes of Rainbow, remember when they used to have the animation uh, that like, they'd have shapes forming and appearing and a boof, boof, me, 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 and that sort of thing. And you're listening to that and you think, well, that's that's a ray gun from the talons of Weng Chiang yeah. that I'm hearing. But of course, the yeah. BBC were already making these things available to other companies. So that thunder crash, which was recorded in the 50s, probably still being used. More yeah. than likely still yeah, being used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard it a number of times. Um, but yes, we can't, Dolly, so... Everything f- starts falling apart, doesn't it? You know the 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 crops fail. Um, I, I, I get them mixed up. One's Isla and one's Lorraine. The girl who's dying in the bed upstairs. She's eating the fish. I think I think it's Lorraine. I think yeah, it is. It's uh, Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. Well, the next episode's called "Gone to the Angels," and um, what strikes me about that is that both Isla and Lorraine, the actresses, ended up being in Angels. So, so that that always um, amused me. Um, oh, I like that. I yes, like that. yes. Yeah, um, that's nice. So things start falling apart, and then you've got again the action continuing under the credits at the end, and then mm. just as the credits end, do, 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 and the Volvo passes by. <laughs> it's just it's just timed perfectly, beautifully um, timed. In Gone to the Angels, um, you've got Peter Miles, haven't you, as the uh, Lincoln, the the tranquilizer addict. I had, I don't know if I've told you this, I had the most amazing experience, I think, of my life when I was, I must have been 10, right? And I was watching uh, Look Northwest, as it used to be called, um, and they talked about the fact that the next day there was going to be a Doctor Who convention in Liverpool. Now, I'd only ever been to the Blackpool exhibition, so I assumed, oh, it's the same sort of thing. So I begged my dad. It was at the Lord Nelson Hotel on uh, Lime Street. I begged my dad, can we go, can we go, can we go? And he said, all right, and let's go. So we went along, and my dad's thinking, probably a quid in for me, 50p in for the boy. And it wasn't. It was like a tenner each, and this is like 1985. And he's like, we we can't do it. And I'm just like, but I can hear the music being played in that room. So I was just stood there, lip going. And then the next thing I know, on my hand, on my shoulder, this hand, and I turned round, and there's a little chap there. And this little chap is John Leeson, the voice of K9. 
and he instantly started talking to me in character. Instantly. Just started chatting away as K-9. And I'm like, oh, this is good. And the next thing I know, I've got two other voices behind me. I've got Michael Wisher, and I've got Peter Miles. Oh, man, that's like a dream team. They are both... I can't believe I've never told you this. They're both giving it loads, as Nida and Davros. And Michael Wisher gave me a personal performance of his to hold between my finger and my thumb, a capsule of such power, and he performed the speech for me. Yes, I would. (laughs) Yeah, I got the whole bit, and he said um, he got it wrong uh, slightly, and I corrected him, and he didn't tell me to fuck off, which I will always love the man for, but Peter Miles was there as well, giving it the full NIDA hit. Stood like NIDA, and the next time I saw him... Was 1993 at a convention in Manchester. So they didn't get you in for nothing then? No, I didn't get in for nothing. Oh, no. that's a shame. Uh, Mark Strickson as Turlow walked past and didn't say anything. I remember that. But but mm. he's a lovely man I know now. Um, but the next time I saw Peter Miles was at another convention in Manchester in 1993. Pissed out of his head uh, on stage, trying to, <laughs> trying to run an auction, but clearly drunk. Him and Caroline John together, both drunk. Um, and Peter Miles unable to really stand up properly. And whenever he heard a noise from the audience, he'd go, Oh, shut up, mother! Commenting, <laughs> commenting about how his mother gets wheeled out for these occasions. And she's a terrible embarrassment. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Brill. Right? So, but in Survivor, bit like Dennis Lill, we're meant to think that, of course, that Peter Miles is a bit of a nonce, that he's a bit yeah. of a kiddie fiddler, but it's never said explicitly. And because of how Peter Miles plays it, he might be, he might be a massive nonce, or he might be misunderstood. And that's the lovely thing: the the the, the areas of grey in Survivors. You don't get caricature. You don't get nice, nasty. You mm. get these shades of grey. And I think that for me is one of the most perfect things about it: the character yeah. development. But which I assume will come about because you've got a group of actors living together. In bloody awful conditions, in yeah. mud, and that's going to bring you together as a troop, isn't it? That's going to and the and the schedule was punishing. Yes, and they were making well. three at a time. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the turnaround for it when you read that, um, yeah, it's it, it's crazy. I mean, in starvation on the shooting script, apparently it says at the very end of the shooting script, because starvation is where things are start, meant to start coming good, isn't it? You know, the spring's here and da 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 da, da. Yeah. And uh, it says on the shooting script, apparently, please, sunshine, sheep, da da da, you know, <laughs> let's hopefully have some gloom. But I mean, I think it serves the series really well. Starvation is the pivotal point in the series where it switches to videotape 100%. Uh, yes. They stop moving around. I know I've made these points, but I think it's important that, um, you know, to, to see where the pivot is. One thing I noticed with them is the episode titles, I mean, it varies. But, for example, in Corn Dolly, the episode title, Corn Dolly by Jack Rand, it's four and a half minutes in. Yes, I noticed that when I watched it back. It is. Um you, you're straight into the exposition. You're straight into the storyline. And it is a bit strange that you then get this big white on-screen graphic fade up and cue. You get yeah. the bump on screen. So that that is a little bit jarring, I find. Yeah. It does remind you you are watching a drama. Which... But it is a drama, Paul. And mm. as we know, the happy, happy ensemble, the happy settlement at Hampton Court, or whatever they call it, uh, doesn't last. 
And um, I find that Law and Order, and Order, yeah, Law and Order. What I find interesting about it is that Clive Exton, who was one of the other writers in it, and is the one that's who said that uh, Terry Nation and Clemens didn't work together on the treatment for this. It was Clive right. Exton because okay. Exton and Clemens had a company. Mm. Can't, oh, was it Clemens and uh, sorry? It was. It might have been Exton and Nation had a company called Exton Nation. It was. Mm. So they were really interesting. But in in Law and Order, he. He works under the pseudonym of M.K. Jeeves. And when you think yes. that Clive Exton wrote every episode of Jeeves and Worcester, mm. I find that an interesting... He must have been oh, very... Nice. Yeah, he must have been very into Woodhouse. So, mm. um, Law and Order, again, folk horror. It's May the 1st, isn't mm. it? Um, you know, and the, there's all that talk. It's seeded when you watch it back. And when, when you watch Starvation, where Barney is introduced as well as Emma and as well as Wendy, because Tom's obviously after Wendy. Mm. Um, Barney won't even kill a rabbit in the snow. You know, his character's seeded all the way back in episode five and this, sorry, episode seven, this episode nine, isn't it, Law and Order? Mm. So that's, the again, the luxury that they had back then when they had these people who were over the entire story arcs. Um, mm. So there's talk in Law and Order, isn't there, that you, you know, it's like the, there are some people in the country still believe you need a sacrifice the blood of a virgin and you dig it into the soil um, mm. to, to improve the harvest and lo and behold again it's from Corn Dolly isn't it there's that 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 um, stream of folk horror that's coming through which in, in mm. series two you've got the witch haven't you which, you have. uh, which again I think is is Jack Rond anyway and, and guest starring Patrick Troughton indeed well, of course um, yes. so yes May the 1st Mm. Uh, but they're talking about the pig, and Barney says, I, I can kill a pig. Mm. You know, so... And Abby never runs out of fags. Never. 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 Now, law and order. Law and order for me is, is interesting. I think, out of the whole run of Survivors, law and order is the series I have watched the most. But it's not an episode of television I think, oh, what should we watch today? A bit of law and order? I approach it. I think... I, I feel like I should watch that again. Okay, let's start building up. And it takes me a couple of days to put it on because it's bloody harrowing. I think you were avoiding that one this week as well when I we was. were discussing watching. I, I, I don't blame you. I don't it's blame you. It's so harsh. And I think, I mean, for a start off, what, what I do love about it is the fact that you've got John Hallam playing um, a character who has learning difficulties in 1975, which is the same year as the character of Benny was introduced to Crossroads. So you've got two big old programmes there that both bring in And the in guy people. in Planet of the Spiders. Uh, uh, Tommy, yes, yeah. of course. Who John Kane, who then wrote Terry and June. Um, so you've, you've got characters... So we really are being shown there. It's fine to, ooh, it's a bit middle class. Yeah, but we've got the balls to actually show a character with with a learning difficulty and treat them as uh, an established character. They aren't the because of their difficulties. They have those difficulties, but they are still a real person. Yeah, they talk about the lottery of survival. Mm, that's it, yeah. And it's it's, but for me, it's a, it's a difficult watch. The The first time I watched it, I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know. No. Um, and and you it. still hope that it's not going to happen. It's like that you episode of, um, of Secret Army, isn't it? Where they have the trial and they put... Um, Terence Hardiman? On trial. Oh, God, you, I hate that episode. It's like this one, though, isn't it? 
It is. I love it. I. It's a. Again, it's a beautiful piece of television, but it's not one that you ever think. Well, I watched that for a bit of light relief. Um, God, Law no. and Order. Now, Law and Order is famous as far as I'm concerned, uh, and this could be an apocryphal tale. But you've got Terry Scully, who's playing Vic. Now, uh, Vic is the person who gets. Uh, dumped by Myra Egan. He, his legs are knackered because a tractor has fallen on him. So he's crippled. And Terry Scully, if you watch his performances, he's a fascinating actor. Um, he did an episode of Zed Cars that no longer exists. But what does exist is Late Night Lineup, I think. Late Night Lineup went behind the scenes on the shoot of Zed Cars, and you can see Terry Scully working as an actor such an intense actor again he's in um uh, patrick troughton doctor who the seeds of death with the ice warriors but he plays it god he plays it perfectly this this weak little man that he's playing who you have absolute sympathy for and you think well there's an actor not a character there's an actor who is who has just got boundless empathy there and the story, the reason that you don't get Terry Scully playing Vic in later episodes is because Terry Scully had a nervous breakdown because of Law and Order, because of the choice that they are faced, because of how his character voted, and he just took it to heart, and it was too much. And if you read about the experiences the cast had shooting that one, God, it sounds harrowing, doesn't mm. it? Really yeah, does. I mean, I suppose for the the potentially someone listening to this has never seen it. I very doubt. I very much doubt that. Mm. So um, it's May the first. Abby decides they're going to have a party, so they have a party at the settlement, don't they? And when she says, because uh, you've got that whole um, that great character who's in there with his PA, the Charmaine, and uh, Michael Gover is the character Michael Russell, Gover. Arthur Mr. Russell, Mr. Russell, Arthur Russell. Yeah. Um, so um, you've got that character, and there's friction there with him and Price, isn't there, mm-hmm. at the beginning? He's on about hoarding food, um, and he's got a briefcase full of money, isn't it? That's not food that he's hoarding. Mm-hmm. Um, so she says that uh, Arthur and Tom can be in charge of drinks. Oh, great, you leave it to me. Right, yeah. so it's like, oh, you like a drink, do you? And then when he's uh, when they're having the party, and Greg's <laughs> playing the guitar, and people are having a bit of a dance and whatnot, um, He's just stood there and he's just down in the whiskey, Tom. But he's trying to get uh, he's trying to get Wendy to dance with him. And dancing with Wendy is what Barney did. I think it sounds like being a friend of Dorothy, isn't it? Oh, he's it dancing does, with it? Wendy. Um, <laughs> um, so Barney ends up dancing with Wendy. And mm-hmm. then Wendy goes up to bed and Tom follows her. But then the next scene, uh, it's probably not, but that shot, the, the extreme, the ECU on... Um, Tom on Talfrin's face where he woke up it's just that because we've all been hungover right we've all been hungover and we've woke up and you've said something to somebody and you're like you wake up with a hangover don't you and, like, and you yes. remember what you, you've said something bloody awful to someone and, and mm-hmm. that's bad enough yeah right that is just oh my god in it but so he... to wake up and realize that you have murdered someone oh and the implication i think seems to be that it was a rape and a murder doesn't yeah it? oh 100 that's what he's yeah. done yes um and and then we go into this 
moral dilemma where it's obvious who did it. It's obvious it was Barney. It's obvious it's the person who can't defend himself. Well, because of that, because of bloody Tom Price going finding him in the woods, telling mm. him they found Wendy dead. Mm. So as soon as Greg, he said, oh, "No, you run away, boy. Get away as fast as you can." So when Greg or whoever it is catches him, mm. you know, it is Greg and the curly-headed fella, the t- the engineer who fixes tractors. Can't remember. Hang on. Is it is it is the car is it Chris Tranchell? Is it his character yes. Paul? Yes. No, it's Paul. not. Is it is it it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah. and and Jenny, they catch up with him and he's like, Oh, he didn't do it, I oh, didn't kill Wendy or something straight away, doesn't it? And that's what hangs him or gets him mm. shot. Yeah. Is because Thomas has uh, uh, Tom Price has given him that he couldn't have known that is the thing that does him. When they're having the kind of the, the jury room scene, isn't mm. it? It's like, mm. you were there, Jenny. You heard him. He said, I didn't kill Wendy. He's like, no, he didn't. He said, no. And she's like, no. Because mm. Greg, Greg likes shouting. He loves it. Doesn't he? You know, he he's a formidable a bastard. He, yeah. Isn't he in the Aneedin line as well? Um, I'm trying to think. I know that he's in Cannibal, Hor- uh, Cannibal Holocaust. Well, that came later, didn't it, as a result did, of this? Yes, he's in The which- Ghoul. I know he's in mm. The Ghoul, because that's like 75 as well. Mm. So they have the jury room scene, don't they? And and Abby has the casting vote. Casting vote. And you, and, and it's, we, sorry, go on. No, it's just that for me, again, Carolyn Seymour's realisation that it is evenly split and she now has to decide if a man lives or dies. She, I think the line she has is, it's down to me. Now, it's, it's, Four words, but you give that to that actress. Oh my God, does she's she play absolutely those? amazing, mate. She's brilliant. You know when you watch it, you're just like, because you can you put yourself in those shoes anyway, carrying an entire series, don't you? Mm. And then you think, right, that's enough. And then the demands, because there's so many traps for an actor in mm. that role. Mm. So many. That's one that you're yeah. talking about. There's one right there. And yep. it's just like, and she just, it's just the, the the dexterity with which. Yeah, it's played perfectly. She doesn't go over the top with it. It's not hysterical. It's not unfeeling. It's a, it's the internal thought process that she plays there. Yeah. Everything is happening up here. So she could have any four words. It's, it's what she's doing in her brain, which translates onto the face. Christ, that's yeah. a, a beautiful moment. Yeah, she's it, the cat, and, and I'm sure that the human being who portrays the uh, Abby, you know, I'm sure Carolyn Seymour's the same. But it's that sort of strong intent. It's like you know when when you're dumped by a, a woman, like you know what I mean, and and the kind of like the like, oh, how come you're this person now? Yeah. You know what I mean? But no, their mind is made up, and that mm. is it. You're you're gone, mate. Yeah. Um, this, it's that strong-minded female that that makes the decision and that's it because you know women are emotionally and mentally stronger than men you know because the female is is obviously the species and men are merely an expression of the species Mm -hmm. um and she is that it's all on her and she does it and and it's a weird death isn't it because you just hear the gunshot i think we see uh talfrin thomas don't we as he's shot i think we see tom price Mm. and then to, just to reinforce his scumbaggery, he rips the floorboard up, and you see him just holding up the, uh, Wendy's bloodstained dress that he's hidden. Mm. 
and showing it to Greg and Abby, don't you? And mm. Greg is about to smash his head in with the butt of the shotgun. That's right. And yeah. she stops him. And he's, I'm the one who pulled the trigger. And she says, you know, yeah, but I'm the one who mm. cast the deciding vote. It's... And and then at the same time, you've got this sort of thing. I, I, I suppose from a scriptwriter's point of view, they were thinking, uh, who are we going to sacrifice here? Uh, there aren't many people anyway. So I suppose one school of thought was thinking, well, this guy is not as mentally astute as the well as the rest of the cast, the character. Maybe we can sacrifice that. But then to balance his lack of whatever intelligence you want to call it he's the guy you can hunt with a bow and arrow isn't he he's mm. the guy who can do it so he's he has utility to the group mm. and what a dilemma that is when i mean i would be thinking for myself in that situation it's like he's a handy chap are oh, you absolutely. sure we can, we can lose him it's it's yeah. the moral dilemma of that one mm. is it's a stunning it's it, it's one of those times when you realise I'm not watching a good episode of Survivors. I'm watching a piece of bloody good television drama. Mm. Um, and you get those occasionally where it's just good telly. And it it's, isn't theatre. It isn't film. It is telly. It's proper telly. Absolutely. There's. I think the, the writing is sort of like possibly more towards the theatrical we would think about it now. It's not completely naturalistic. But... It is very much. Do you know telling. what it reminded me of? The Crucible. <coughs> yeah, it, it yeah, really yeah, did, yeah. and it always does. I always mm. think of that scene because it's an ensemble cast, um, and yes, it's it's not it's it's not a very settling piece of television. No, uh, it's for me. I think that in terms of survivors, that one for me is. The episode, if you if, if people ever say, well, what's good about it? Sit them down. make yeah. the, Let them watch that for 50 minutes. And it it's shocking. It is shocking to this day. And the thing is, for anyone out there who hasn't seen it, and you're thinking, well, I don't need to watch it because they've basically told us, no. You, you've not, no. You've it's Paul got... Pittman, the character, sorry. Paul Pittman, that's it. It is Chris Tranchill, isn't it? Yes, um, yes, 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 yes. Formerly, but of, you know that uh, they've got this. School. They've got this whole thing about uh, digging into the soil the blood of a virgin, right? Mm. Okay, to help the crop. You you see Paul Pittman and you see Arthur Russell, the characters digging those graves, and the thing is, they're burying two virgins. Mm. Well, they're not. Sorry, because Wendy's obviously no longer a virgin, thanks mm. to Tom Price, but. The blood of the virgin is um, Barney, mm. so that's that's something I hadn't really thought of until watching mm. it again. It's like they are nourishing the soil with the blood of a virgin, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. It's it yeah. works on so many levels. It it does. It's it's almost too complex to actually discuss all the levels, isn't it? Because yeah. there's so much, so much in in that fifty minutes. It's just perfect. It's yeah. a perfect piece of television. It's perfectly written. It's absolutely perfectly acted. And there's no the dead wood in the in the no. performances. I can't. Oh, think there's of not an ounce. Every of character's been mentioned. Yeah, there's nothing there where you think. And and the performances from what you call the minor characters, uh, Hannah Maria Pravda in that yeah. episode, on Barney's side, fighting for him. And is is part of her character? Did she survive the Holocaust? Have I got that right? I think that's a lose. Yes, to. yes, it is. Yes, 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 yes. Which, 
So straight away you've got that whole thing of, you know, she knows what it's like to have people just killed almost coincidentally and yeah. passionately against it. And, oh, God, it's wonderful. It it's is wonderful. a smashing. I mean, I would, if someone was to, to just pick one to watch... Mm. You know, I think this is where Terry got it wrong, you know, on repeats. I think Law and Order's been repeated quite a few times, hasn't it? Mm, I think so, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's... Even now, you find yourself going back into your head thinking about... Oh God, you know, it's like you just mentioned there about Emma and what, yeah. what and what she adds to the soup. There's well, what so it does much... perfectly is, it, it, as, a, as an audience member, it makes you question your own morality. Mm. What would I do? In those circumstances, it makes you question, and it it still does that to me now. I mean, I I think I first saw this in about nineteen ninety four or something, and I've seen it a fair few times since. But I still think it still makes me think. I can still ruminate on how what would I have done if I had been there. Um, it's it's perfect. I would have voted for banishment. I I couldn't have voted. I I, I couldn't. I just no. I, I was thinking about that. No, I was and, and it's interesting though. Vic Thatcher votes for execution. Terry he Scully does. would have would have gone for uh, Terry Scully would have gone for banishment. Yeah. Hence the actor then having a little bit of a wobble because. But Tom Price doesn't cough for it until he's dead. Yeah, and obviously that he's saying, "Please forgive me," isn't he? Can you forgive me? Mm. You know. And the thing yeah. is, you know, if I think if it had been Tom Price, it, they would have just banished him. Yeah, I suspect that that's the thing, and of course, from that point, Tom Price stops being almost the comedic role, yeah. and you you view him from that moment to when he dies, which is quite soon, but you view him as this horrendous character, yeah. to, uh, uh, perfectly portrayed by Telford Tom. Did you? I can't watch... fault. Uh, can't fault. Him. No, 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 no. Did you watch any of the reboot? Hmm, I did. Um. Tom Price was like this buff young guy, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. I mean, we could sully the airwaves talking about it. We I, won't. Right. I just... No, I mean, you know what? Fair enough. They they gave it a shot, but what they were it was big budget. It was single camera. It wasn't was telly. Incidental music. It wasn't telly. It was again. It was cinema pretending to be telly and just stop it. Yeah. They are different. They are. Different. It's like this week. People have been sort of. Uh, ranting about them making a new rumpole with a a girl playing uh, rumpole and that. Which, Sorry, I've not right, heard it, about this. No, no, I've not. Uh, fill me in. Okay, so they're remaking no. rumpole of the Bailey. I know, I know, but at the same time, you oh, know, it, man, woman, child. The, the Leo McKern one's untouchable. It is absolutely, and whilst Julie Graham is a very, 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 very good actor. She's not Carolyn Seymour. Oh, God, no. Stop it at once. But no. with the Rumpole thing, people getting hot under the collar of it, I, I I, lived through Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. You know, I can I can do anything. Um, Rumpole, you can live through that without Leo McKern? Because, because I've got them. I've got, if I want to revisit Rumpole, I was talking to John Hayes, who came over here yesterday, mm. and John, we were talking about Rumpole and that. And, you know, he stood by the fireplace, leaning on the fire with Nick, his son, who's home from university. And he's like, ah, do you remember those when we used to charge across the moors as Holmes and Watson, Nick, ah, across the common? And Nick's like, I remember a walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the stuff. <laughs> you know, again, um, it's, it's kind of like they exist. 
They exist, mm. and you're never going to tarnish them by anything. You know, then why uh, bother? Why not make something new? Why? why I, I couldn't agree up? more. But you don't. You know, it's not just so much the fact that there's a woman playing Rumpel. Anyone doing it. Uh, uh, by the way, though, um, Morris Denham's good in the audios. Now, Morris Denham, who plays Rumpel in Here They Are, right next to me. Uh, Oh, no, they're not. These are John Mortimer reading them. But Maurice yeah. Denham played him on Radio 4, didn't he? Um, and Maurice Denham's one of the judges in, in the original series. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. And that first series of Rumpole, again, is 75, isn't it? Mm. You know, uh, or is that the play for today that's 75? The play and for the, today's 75 and, series is... What a year! Series 78, isn't it? Yeah. That starts it, with that great one, Rumpole and the younger generation were... Uh, <laughs> oh, the pot brilliant. smokers. Yes. It's thinking of Jane it. Asher. Mm, in it that is. One. Um, but we're detracting, and we we would literally be all, here all day, listeners and viewers. But how, lo- how long have we done? About an hour? Probably about an hour and a half. I've no idea. But we've oh, got right, to we've get done to an the hour end. and a half. So right, a new okay. beginning. All right. right the, yeah, the, the final one. Uh, yes. Lots of Greg shouting. A lot. Lot of Greg shouting in this one. Um, mm. Just um, let me. Um, Double check on the... Uh, it's Terry Nation, I'm sure, of it, mm. uh, who wrote it. Yes, of course it is. Um, he wanted to write the beginning and the end episode. Mm. Um, so here's were the the Chris Eccleston of the piece, um, Carolyn Seymour. It's uh, her final one. Now, in between Law and & Order and, and this, uh, we've met Jimmy Garland, haven't we? We have. As Richard yes, Heffer, who's like this beautiful young man who hoves into view. Yes, and um, I think that Abby has has had some fun I think with so. Jimmy. I think yes. so, absolutely. And we get this character. We get chested on horseback. Let's have it yes. right, isn't he? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we're in an animal skin. But we get this character being written out, and from what I can gather, it's because she and Terence Dudley could not get on. Yeah, and the Simple workload. And the workload from from what uh, on those DVDs, the interviews, hmm. she says like you made the point before about the mud and the cold and the. I mean, it must have been a, a fucking great. In hindsight, you know what that would have been like. You've been on shooting all day. You're back at the hotel. You've had a nice bath, lovely yes. meal, a couple of gin Amazons in the bar, and and it would have been wonderful. We yes. we would have we would have loved that bit. Oh God, yeah. But, I mean, she was, let's face it, already a movie star. Mm-hmm. She was. Uh, so, Steptoe, yeah. She, oh, she's, she's done. great in that. She's absolutely brilliant. So, I mean, the fact that that, that we've got her for those 13 episodes is, yeah. is wonderful stuff, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. wonderful. But, I mean, and, for, but, for, sorry. Come on. I was just going to say not a lot happens in the last one. No, it doesn't, does it? It's, it's a bit of a mm. wet fart in terms of, of, of sort of, like, finishing the series off i mean towards the end uh so there's the there's the guys from the other settlement who turn up with the the sick um is it jane who's recast in series two yes is it jane let me just mm. have a quick check i think because um, she's recast as that wonderful uh actress out of which which doctor who is it she's in i remember when she died um sorry um annie Annie Irving. Annie Irving. It plays yeah. Ruth, not Jane. I'm sorry. Ruth. 
Oh, yes. Ruth the Doctor. Yeah. Now, Ruth is recast, isn't she, in the second series? Celia, Gre- Celia Gregory Thank plays you. her in the second one, I Thank think. Thank you. She, now, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I apologise to Annie Irving, but by God, she's far better. The the, the upgrade in series two, isn't she? Celia wonderful. Gregory. But, but, so they turn up with her on a handcart, don't they? Mm. Greg turns them away, and they leave her. You know, and there's that bit where they're arguing. There's children here, Abby. You know what I mean? They could be infected. Like, and, then, and then Abby's like, "Oh well, I've touched her, and Emma's touched her, and he grabs her arm to tear her off, and now you have two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Which I love yeah. that bit. But there's not a lot happens. But Annie met up with the school kids, in, including Pete. I don't, didn't she? Abby's mm. son. Yes. So, so that gives us the plot device to get Abby gone. With yeah, Jimmy to get rid, which is yeah. which is a shame, but of course the series it continues, and there's a lovely thing. Um, just just give me a second, and I'll find you again. A lovely little quote that I found. Um, there's there's two things, and this is from uh, Don Shaw's interview. Uh, and the first thing that he says uh, here is, I think the great success of Survivors lay in the fact that writers were trusted; they were allowed their heads. Do it, do it as you see it. Don't bother about the ratings. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Uh, nobody looked at ratings in the, in those days. The producers never looked on the Monday morning for how many people had watched it overnight. If it went out on the Saturday or Sunday night, nobody bothered in the slightest. Um, and then he says something else. I wrote for an intelligent audience. I wasn't writing down... I was writing at my own level. I wasn't bothered about the intellectual level of the audience. I was interested in ideas and philosophies. Um, to have, first of all, to not be asked with the ratings and to have an organisation like the BBC that would just go, yeah, go, go, and, go and live in Brecon for a year and just bring the tapes <laughs> back. Lovely. And to not be that bothered about the ratings. I think that's... That's yeah. a utopia, as far as I'm concerned. To be given the opportunity for a show to breathe, which you you don't have now. You don't get those opportunities for a show to but bed you, in. You don't get people like Terence Dudley or Terry Nation in te- television. Two Terriers. Uh, you don't get these people anymore that yeah. have. I mean, when you sort of you think about the position they occupied then uh, in the industry and within the BBC. It wasn't, they didn't just pop up out of nowhere. There was an entire back catalogue, and they were proven people. Mm. They were proven people. I mean, that's why it attracts people like Ian McCulloch and Lucy Fleming and Carolyn Seymour. You know, that's why actors of that calibre were, Mm. you know, it's like, who's writing the scripts? Oh, oh, can I see a script? Oh, (laughs) these are good. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's. That's why you get... I mean, I know that culturally that wouldn't happen now, no matter who you were. Well, maybe it would with certain star names. Mm. But back then you had people that you'd never heard of that were given that kind of leeway. I'm sure Terry Nation was known to, you know, people like us. But outside of that, you know, I mean, I don't think that people would have known who Terry Nation was. They wouldn't know who Terence Dudley was. No. you know, so yeah, that culture would not exist. That quote is just gorgeous. It, it is, what, isn't it? What comfort! What comfort to have that backup. Mm. You know, but I, I, you know, I shall, put, I shall put a link to the interview on the Twitter feed. Oh, good, yeah. I think that's worth. But it. I think, in conclusion, we can mm. say, and here we are, what 
46 years later. Yes. In the middle of, well, life imitating art, no matter which way you want to sort of cut the cake, no no matter if you wish to buy into any kind of conspiracy-minded behind whatever it is, Mm. our lived experience, uh, thankfully has not replicated this. But I think that viewed through the prism of, of what we've seen the last year or so, mm. I think that it, it... I watched it with a different perspective. For example, when um, Abby goes up to Emma mm. um, at the cottage, she she goes right up to her and, and touches her. Mm. Now, with all our social distancing and... Our, you know, so it was kind of like... And that's the sad aspect, the psychological impact of what this this government have done to us over the last 12 months as well. Or, as I say, it's up to you which one you subscribe to, which view. I hold this government massively accountable for what we've been through. And they've, they've managed to make people view each other as disease vectors as opposed to other human beings. And, and this series, because it was made before that, is very much has a warmth and a humanity as opposed to just looking at cold, hard data and science. It you know, does. and it has a beating heart, and it couldn't be made now. No, it couldn't. It just couldn't. But you can watch it now, of course. Now then, there, were, there have been two DVD releases, haven't there? Um, I only know of the one. Sorry. Right. Which one have you got? I've got the one that came out in 2005, six. It's like those big, fat, chunky box sets. No. No. Now they then. Seriously. Mike, 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 you are going to have to do me a little oh, favour here. Okay. A little favour. Because, let's, let's leave the little faces there. Yes. Um, because um, the lovely extras that I believe you've got, the interviews, the 8mm uh, Are they not on there? Not on. No. Not on. No. No, that is an absolute travesty. They're wonderful, especially you, Stephen Dudley, like that. Who's like a big portly-looking Captain Mannering type now, and he's like, "No, didn't like it. Didn't want to do it." Oh, no, I haven't. I've never oh, seen these. Oh my god! I've, could, would you do me a little favour? Yes, that, I would. Dude? No Thank problem. Um, we might might even pop a little bit of the eight mil footage on the Twitter feed. You never know. Um, but okay. regardless of that, at the moment, viewers, if you were to go to a particularly well-known uh, home delivery site, um, you will find that you can obtain this box set of every episode of Survivors for less than twenty pounds. That's ridiculous. I must have Isn't paid thirty-five ninety-nine each series or something. Mm. Let yeah. me have a look at the spines, dear. You have a look, dear. Uh, oh, here's the spine. Let's have a look at the side, and then it's just it's just the three. Okay, they aren't they aren't misaligned. I've got one upside down there, um, but thanks. That was bothering me. I I Um, know it will have. And you've got the one, two, threes that you should go left to right anyway. Uh, Yeah, it's just because they were out the box before. Don't worry. All right, well it's okay. I can handle this. I'm dealing with it. Um, I'm better than I used to be. So they're not. I just I just can't believe the extras aren't on the that. They're not my mind. They're not on there, so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to see those at some point. Yeah, but, but absolutely. And I, and I have thought about buying them, but of course those versions... Is it Arrow Entertainment? Have I got that right? I'm not sure. Mine was um, Delta, I think. Delta, that's it. Yeah. So of course the Delta's no longer around, so those are like hen, hen's no. teeth now. Um, are they? So, oh, yeah, you... Yeah. Oh, I might have sell those. Worth a um, little bit of money, dear. Um, but this box set of the full thing, if you're listening to this when we release it on the Friday, you could have this in your possession for 20 Earth Pounds tomorrow. Wow. And Lovely. if you haven't watched it, watch it. Yes. It's perfect. Yes. 
It, it really is. It really is. As I say, out of all of that, what were, what was our gripes? It was Stephen Dudley's acting. And that was only because it was bring your son to work day. And he and didn't six. Want, he didn't want to do it. That's the no. thing that gets me. It's not like he was some little oik like me or you would have been. Let us do it. Let us oh. do it. Let us do it. Yeah. Hey? I wouldn't I wouldn't have done a why don't you on that. I would have been right in there. Yeah. But you're looking at a boy who was only six or seven, to be fair. Oh, 30. I know. And I'm I I feel sorry for the guy. Because mm. he didn't want to do it. Yeah. But I mean, if that's your only complaint, also with Law and Order, would it have been improved if we didn't know Price was guilty? No. All right. Sorry. No. No, um, I, I just it's just something that crossed my mind because, watching. Because it. I, I love the fact that as as audience, you've got that superior vantage point to the majority of the cast, so that you can sit there going, No! No, yeah. you, you're wrong. You don't do that. You're He's such wrong. a conniving bastard, isn't he? Oh, horrific. He is, really is. And then, you know, as you say, as uh, Officer Cheeseman, yeah. or whatever he is, Private Cheeseman. Private I, Cheeseman I didn't like him in Dad's Army, around. I have to admit. Didn't like nobody, him. Nobody liked him in Dad's Army because he wasn't James Beck. That's all. Yeah. If, if James Beck had still been there and they brought him in as an additional character, fine. But not instead of. Um, and also because, as we know from John Laurie, he got too many laughs. So when we got, we can't have that. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 then promoted Private Sponge, didn't they? Who who was kind Colin of in it all Bean. the way through? Yeah. yeah, they gave Colin Bean a few lines here and there to make up for it. But uh, yeah, but we're in danger of starting a whole new chat here. So maybe we uh, maybe we should leave it there. We should. So, so next week we'll be we'll be back at the same time next week yes. with uh, with a with a more usual show full of nice things, won't we? Uh, but we will. I think Survivors. There's another two series. We've only. Oh, we'll done, do them. We'll do. We'll that. do that. We'll we will to. see. Listen, this is where it's up to you, dear viewers and listeners. Yes. Uh, yes. Let us know if this kind of thing works because I think we've mainly stayed on topic. That's that's quite good. It's not bad, is it? That's pretty yeah. good. Maybe maybe every ten. Yeah. Who'd have thought we would have done ten? I and we've done ten. I'd assume we would do two, and then we'd yeah, go, oh, that's. An, I thought not. we'd run out of nice things to talk about. I didn't I, think I, we'd I run thought... out of nice things. I thought we'd run out of steam. But I was sort of, I was, um, I was cutting wood up only the other day, um, and I thought, you know, I was like, it was like, God, there are entire universes of nice things that we've not oh, covered yet. Absolutely. So I'm so optimistic. Much. I am. So maybe every ten. Yeah, we will focus in on one particular program or or something. It could be anything. So, indeed, listeners and viewers, if there is anything that you would like us to look at, then you can always uh, get on Twitter and have a chat with us. Uh, the main Twitter for the show is at Nice Things Show. That's the one. Uh, my Twitter is at P Carmichael V O. I've learned it. And ah, yours, very good. And oh, mine's just at- my name at Bellend.com. You can find me. <laughs> So um, find us on Twitter and yes. tell us what you think. Yes. And uh, I enjoyed that, Paul. I did, actually. And yes. we didn't even find out what your name was this week. Well, that's good. I hadn't thought of one. You know what? I did think of one the other day, and I was so delighted that I kept adding to it and adding to it. And then it... Oh, I can't remember the first part now. So I've written it down, and I've lost the piece of paper. So, uh, but but for next week, I will certainly have it. We'll just go with the Lady Carmichael on this one. Yes, Lady Lady Carmichael or Paul Lady Pittman. Carmichael, which sounds like a personal device for ladies. It but, does um, indeed. It does. So, yes, there we are. Lovely. Yes. Okay. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it at home as much as we did here at home. 
And until next week, bye-bye. Goodbye. Presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production.